You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to the Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have an amazing guest here today, Lori Palvermacher. You come from Atticus Advantage, which in itself is an amazing company that has been serving lawyers for, believe it or not, for over three decades, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That is correct. Our founders launched this many moons ago, and so we've got a, a long-standing tenure in the industry. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I believe when I read about the company, it said that it is the longest-serving coaching company mm-hmm. and a supporting organization correct. for small and mid-sized lawyers. Yeah, the majority of the firms that we work with are that small to mid-size where you know we can make a much stronger impact there. And we're many times working with owners and partners of those firms. And so we're directly involved in kind of the growth uh, strategy for their business. And Lori, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe your official title is a certified practice growth consultant or coach. Practice advisor. Advisor. Yes. So in your role, if I remember correctly, on your LinkedIn, it said that you support incredible practice practitioners of law in their pursuit of becoming brilliant business people. I know I butchered it a little bit, but something along those lines, right? Absolutely. You know, you're always trying to find that differentiator or that tagline when you think of your LinkedIn profile, right? And it's something that I've kind of identified through my career as what, what drives me and what my passion is. I'm not an attorney by uh, by trade myself, but I've been working with attorneys for the past 20 years. And I am formally trained and experienced in business and marketing. And so that has led to this unique appreciation for attorneys who by nature are not <laughs> business and marketing professionals, but are taking on that endeavor when they launch their firm. And so I love supporting these brilliant practitioners in their pursuit to becoming really great business professionals. I think that that's just such a tremendous service for the industry because, and we work with a ton of lawyers, obviously, and I find that the greatest differentiator between those lawyers who make median income, which I think in 2021, according to BLS, it was about just a hairline under 128,000, top 10% making about 209,000. And I know firsthand, top 3%, and top 1% are well into high six figures. And the difference between them, it's never the number of years of experience. Mm -hmm. It's never about the hours worked. It's never about the education. Mm -hmm. It's always about the business acumen. It is, it is. And it takes learning and it takes experience and it takes trial and error. And, you know, again, for so many attorneys, they've gone to law school and they've achieved a lot in that endeavor. And then they go into the business world and they would just rather allow the the intelligence that they have and the success that they have as an attorney to, to be the thing that they can rest their hat on. Right. But really, when we're talking about it, it's not, you know, when we say what got you here won't get you there, meaning, you know, the brilliant practitioners are brilliant practitioners for a, you know, a combined set of skills. To be those brilliant and amazing business owners and leaders takes a completely different package of skill sets. And that's what we love to support here at Atticus is helping them bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. How do you do that? 
<laughs> so we do that through training and we do that through coaching and we do that through education. Certainly, we've got a number of webinars that we put out every single month because we just want to provide that information and give them some of the resources that they could be implementing themselves. But a big piece of this is the accountability function, right? We are all creatures of habit. And the longer that we do something or don't do something, the longer we're going to continue in that trajectory. And so we really need oftentimes an accountability partner, a support mechanism, or a real shakeup in what our current habits and processes are to be able to pivot and do things differently than what we've done before. And sometimes it too, it just takes shining the light on certain areas of a business so that we know where we need to focus and emphasize. And so oftentimes folks are partnering with Atticus either in a one-on-one advisory capacity, like the, a lot of the work that I do with our attorneys. So they've got that accountability partner and they've got that advisor and an almost consultant, if you would, that can say, you know, hey, here's what others have done. Here's what you should know. Here's what you should consider for your own business. And then we also have group and, and peer programs, like our practice growth program, as an example. We also have a dominate your market program. These are programs that put you, the attorney, with like-minded professionals who are going through similar experiences. And so you get the, the benefit of, you know, of coaching and guidance through our instructors, but also that peer environment and the collaboration and, and really the competitive spirit that might uh, exist with a group of peers. Super interesting. So I'm going to make some assumptions. Correct me if I'm wrong. I assume that most of your new clients, when they come to you, they're probably somewhere between $500,000 in gross revenue and let's say $2 million. That'd be fair. That'd be fair. Mm-hmm. What is a roadmap for a typical client? Like year one, what do you do with them? And what do they expect to get out of it? Yeah. Well... <sighs> I wish there was a, a clear definitive answer for that, Sasha. There's, it, it, it really depends, right? It's my favorite attorney response. It depends. For, for many of the attorneys that we work with, there tends to be one kind of catalyst for what's going on in their lives or their business. They say, okay, I've got to do something or I'm ready to take the leap and, and you know, go in on the program or partner with a, a coach to support me. And so sometimes there's, that, again, that lead domino. But oftentimes what we find is, again, these are universal business challenges. And so while an attorney might come to us with a single thing in mind that they want to fix, it's, it's an evolution to really address the foundation and the growth potential for their business. And so, you know, we're, we identify four cornerstones as part of the methodologies that we support attorneys with. So the first being time management and focus and prioritization. All too often attorneys are the victims of their calendars and they feel like their world is in constant chaos and you really can't scale your business and you really can't support your team to do so until you can take greater control over your time and ensure that you're focusing on the most impactful and most profitable activities in your practice. So that's, go ahead. Let's make a quick detour there. What are the top three most impactful activities that law firm owners should be focusing on? So again, only three. <laughs> only three. Yeah. Only three. Because, because well, most of us cannot wrap our minds around like a dozen things, right? No, so I we got to focus on like the, the highest priorities. 
I know. And, you know, and to preface that, I just would say, you know, a lot of the work that we do at Atticus is kind of trying to diagnose some of that um, mm-hmm. because the top three may not be the top three for everyone, certainly. But I think for a lot of businesses, it falls under the, the cash flow and profitability consideration and not knowing their numbers. And so if I'm going to work with a, a firm who says, hey, I want to grow and, and do so significantly, or I want to stop this, you know, being in, in the red kind of feeling. To address that right away, it's knowing the numbers and really looking at those things. So where are their collections and billables? What are they charging? How are they charging? And so really understanding those aspects of their business. I think there's a number of attorneys who could probably stand to raise their rates and then they would realize in increased profitability, or I'm sorry, increased revenue from that alone. But increased revenue doesn't necessarily mean increased profitability. And so, you know, there's the the distinction between that and what's going to impact profitability. And so we talk about things like automation. We talk about leveraging your team and leveraging your own time as an attorney. Far too many attorneys are spending their valuable hours on administrative related tasks or on activities that are not where their time is best spent. And they're looking at acquisition of team members or contractors or service providers like yourself, Sasha, who they look at just, that's just an expense item on the budget. And the reality of it is, is we can leverage those expenses to really increase revenue and then profitability. And so those are the kind of the two main areas I would want to focus on. And then the third would be, what are they doing from a marketing perspective? Because it's absolutely essential that they are marketing to their audience. That they are constantly looking for new revenue streams for the business and nurturing referral relationships and considering their digital footprint to make sure that they've got exposure and credibility in the marketplace. Interesting. I want to put a little emphasis on all three of these because none of those are legal services. All of those put lawyers way outside of their comfort zone. This is hard to wrap your mind around if you're watching this and you think that you're practicing attorney but you also happens to be a practicing business owner. As a successful executive of your law firm, you will make over the course of your career infinitely more money and create infinitely larger impact than if you just continue practicing as an attorney while owning your law firm. I find it really bewildering that you would start your own law firm, but continue as an employee, which most lawyers who start their law firms They simply continue being a lawyer while owning a business. And that is why so many lawyers, self-employed lawyers, are not really successful despite this misconception in our society that lawyers are incredibly successful people. Yeah, there's a misconception too that the majority of lawyers and attorneys work for these big corporate conglomerate law firms where I believe the the statistics are about 83, 89% of attorneys are in small to medium-sized business yeah. models. And yeah. so, but, with, but with apologies, quick interruption, 67% of all lawyers work for small law firms. Mm-hmm. One third, one third, roughly 450,000 are solos. Another third, another 450,000 work in law firms with 10 or fewer lawyers. Yeah. These are small firms. Indeed. Most of them are truly self-employed. Most of you guys and gals watching maybe one scale away from making it big. And that's really the broad business acumen. 
Yeah. And when we think about the motivation behind that, you know, either they've had experience in in the big Mm -hmm. law world or they perceive what that might be. And either way, they're seeking control and freedom and flexibility. And so hanging Mm -hmm. my shingle equivocates to me being my own boss. But inevitably, doing so also means I've just assumed these additional roles and responsibilities, much of them being outside of my comfort zone, as you said. And now I'm spending more time, more energy. And this thing that I launched because I was passionate about it, because I wanted more control, more flexibility, is actually resulting in the opposite. Mm -hmm. Less control, less flexibility. You now have numerous jobs, right? Right. Right. So you're responsible for marketing and mm-hmm. selling and operations and HR and management. Mm-hmm. Welcome to business ownership. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is, thing, you know, the, the attorneys I work with are behind the desk going, I didn't sign up for this. But again, it's the, yes, it's the policy, what you've inherited because mm-hmm. of the desire. So, um, yeah. so you know, and there again, these are all business skills that can be learned. Some of us definitely are better suited for different roles that we might take on. But none of this is impossible for anyone to, you know, to grow the acumen in the areas that they need to, to really be, to have that flexibility, have that profitability and have that satisfaction with their business. Mm. It's interesting. I do like to survey attorneys, our clients, our prospects, and people I meet with at conferences about their happiness level their satisfaction level with their businesses. Most lawyers I meet at conferences are not terribly satisfied with their businesses. Right. And then I ask them about their size and those who tend to go bigger, like 10 plus attorneys, Mm -hmm. they're usually the ones that tend to be happiest. And I hope nobody sends me hate mail because of this. They tend to do the least amount of legal work. Yeah, well, they have a team that they can leverage, right, and uh, employ the amazing business skill of delegation. And this is a big component of what we work with our attorneys on is really being able to move all activities to that lowest denominator, to that lowest value, uh, I shouldn't say value team member, but the team member who's at that lowest salary or compensation, right? Because the more they can be doing, the more that the tiers above them can truly be leveraged doing work that only they should be doing, right? And that's why we, you know, we talk about the importance of marketing as an example, and we're big proponents. Mark Powers is quoted to say, don't ever, 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 ever stop marketing, right? We have to always be doing that. We also have to be considering the different avenues in which we're marketing, but that doesn't mean that the attorney themselves has to be the one writing the blog content or, you know, doing the social media posts or, or whatever it might be. You need team members that you can leverage. And the more you have that can do these other tasks, the more that you as the attorney, especially the attorney slash business owner, can be focusing on only, only the things that really they can do, right? That they can't hire someone else for. And for some, it is being the the face and the rain broker of their organization. For others, it's being that CEO position within the organization. Again, this is the, the beauty of being a business owner. You can really craft and carve out your niche in there. But if you're answering the phones and you're scanning the documents and you're you know, making copies and doing those other things, you're never going to get to that level in your practice. Mm-hmm. 
There is such an important point that you brought up, and I want to emphasize on it a little more, and that is I often meet with lawyers, some of whom are our clients, who get to the comfort zone where they're making enough money and they're like, this is good. And then we talk about this and we're like, grow bigger. You will be happier with the outcome. Mm -hmm. And I've heard it from our corporate attorney who also happens to be our client. Andrew is an amazing guy. He has been our client for a couple of years. And a few months ago when we we're talking about this, he's like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I do not want to work anymore. And I'm like, oh, Andrew, when you go from a couple million to 10 million, you understand you're not going to have to work five times the hours. Uh, Nobody does. Yeah. That is not the point. You grow to actually have and number one, this is my concern always, because things happen in life. You need to, if you're building a business, it must be a sellable asset. If you're on a very small law firm, mm -hmm. there is no reason for anyone to ever buy it. No. There's nothing there. It's a desk, it's a computer, it's a phone. Right. It's not a business asset. So like build it as big as you can build it with the help of the right people. One of my favorite book titles is Who, Not How. Get the right who's in the right places and help you drive this vehicle forward so it gets to a certain point. Without you working any more than you do, ultimately, you should be working less. Most lawyers we talk to, 50 to 60, 65, sometimes 70 hours a week. Madness. Why are you working so much? Cases. Well, and, and you bring up a good point is they, the, the idea of, okay, I'm here. And it, it took me working this many hours per week and missing these things with my kids and, you know, not taking vacation to get here. And now I'm here. I just want to maintain this. Right. And so you bring up a few good points. That I, I hope I remember all of them as I, as I start talking. But one is they have that fear that if I grow my revenue, that means I also increase time, stress you know, the things I've sacrificed to get to this point, I'm going to have to sacrifice more or continue to sacrifice and neglect those areas of my life. And so it, there is that correlation. And again, this is the, the disparity between understanding the business aspects and components mm -hmm. and, and being able to create efficiencies and scale a business versus the, the feeling of this all resides on my shoulders to do. And so to go from here to here means just put more on my shoulders and I don't want to do that. But you brought up the the saleability of a practice. It's the greatest heartbreak I've experienced in my profession is to work with so many attorneys who have not considered an exit strategy, a transition model that allows them to gain real value from the business they've built and all of the years, decades that they've put in to that business. And so, again, from a business-minded perspective, how am I going to earn residuals on this business when I want to step away? How can I step away without just closing the door and sending a letter to my client saying, I'm not doing this anymore? So having a, a real strategy in place that allows them to realize the significant investment that they've made of time, effort, energy over all of these years. And then again, going back to the, the team members, you know, so many of the attorneys I work with are scared. They're scared to lead and manage teams. And it's hard enough for them to lead and manage. Why is that? I think there's a few components to it. I think communication is a big barrier for that. Uh, you know, I, I tease a lot of my attorneys that 
you know, you, you, you might tell somebody something one time and because you told them that one time they should know how to do it. Right. Or worse, they should be able to read my mind and know exactly what I want. So communication is a big barrier, but then conflict also, the more, you know, people you collect together and the different uh, personalities creates conflict. And most of us are very conflict adverse human beings. And we'd rather have our fingernails pulled out than have to have an uncomfortable conversation. And inevitably in business, we're going to have to have uncomfortable conversations with our team members to hold accountability, to ensure that, you know, we've got the right processes in place to make sure that we're upholding a certain quality and standard and customer service. And so it's just the, the more people they have to manage, it's more time you know, it's less availability of the time that they have, but it also is that increase in conflict. And for attorneys who've had experience with hiring and losing team members and having turnover, it becomes a very discouraging consideration for them to think, oh, I'm going to put all this time and effort into a new hire. It's not going to work out. And that's going to be back on my track anyways. I might as well just do it myself. And so those are the barriers that we really have to work through to get folks to realize that, again, the addition of a team member is not just a line item on the budget and an overhead expense, but it's a tremendous leveraging opportunity for the business. That's a really, really good point. And whenever I hear people say that I do not want to have more employees because they think that all of those employees have to be their direct reports, that should never, ever be the case. United States military, God bless them, have 250 years of proven track record that every leader has no more than six direct reports. Once you go to seven and beyond, your communication channels start breaking down and the effectiveness of that team, that small team, seven people, including the leader, start diminishing. That is why in the business operations, when you look at large corporations, there are always management layers. And it is not an expense to build a management layer it is you building your business to the point where it scales up to the point where if tomorrow, due to a health reason, a family reason, or I am just sick and tired of operating my own business, I want to cash out. Any one of those reasons, you can put it up for sale and within six, nine, 12 months, have a nice big check and walk away within another three, six months. Again, most lawyers, because of lack of business training, just do not see this, right? Like you have an MBA, I have a business background, 22 years of management, they have a finance degree, right? Like we know these things because been there and done that. Lawyers are classically trained specialists in law. And but I think it's helpful to, you know, we, we all like to think that we're unique, but I mean, these are the same challenges that um, everybody and dentists face, right? And your, your mechanic, right? They are skilled technicians in their respective area and that's the comfort zone. And so it's far and few in between that I have an attorney who I'm working with who wants to relinquish the technician role and, and strive for that CEO role in, in their organization. They're out there and then I get to work with some of them, but most of them, you know, it is it's, it's getting and, and stretching beyond that comfort zone. It's learning the new skills. And that's intimidating. You know, it's like I had to learn so much to get to this point. And now you want me to start over and I want to you, know, you feel foolish sometimes or you feel like I should know these things. But this is where I'm telling my attorneys, you got to give yourself grace here. This is this is mm-hmm. not something any of us were born into. We have to learn these skills. Mm-hmm. But I'd also want anybody who's listening to this, watching this, to not think about it. I need to start from scratch. I need to start something new. 
That is not the point. You're simply moving up one layer or two layers higher. And when I think about it, legal profession, it's almost like a pyramid, right? At the bottom, majority of lawyers who are either solo practitioners or work in their small law firms, and they're making that median income of 128 to let's say 210. The next layer, and the leap from one layer to the other, it's humongous. Those are the rainmakers. They do very little legal work. They're focused on marketing the firm, right? Building connections, biz dev, marketing. There's anecdotal evidence that suggests that if you are practicing law, the most you're going to make is about 450, with vast majority of lawyers never reaching that level. So that's 128 median income 2021. That stands. That top 10%, uh, 209,000, that stands. 450 is quite an achievement as a practitioner of law. I've met and I know a number of rainmakers who make four to five times as much. The amount of time they spend doing cases, yay big. But there's a whole different layer that goes above that. And that layer is successful law firm executives. The way that I want you to think about it, if you go to five, seven, ten million million in gross revenue, this is a professional service organization. Your net profit margin at the end of the year should be 20 to 25%. Would you rather be a lawyer making up to 450 or a rainmaker making one, 1.52 or an executive who oversees the law firm, say $5 million, 20% net margin, that's aside from your income for managing the firm, that's a cool mill a year. You get it to 10 million, that's 2 mill a year. By the way, the number of times you have to go out there and shake hands and try to make connections as a rainmaker, probably close to zero. And by the way, you do not have to be responsible for all of this growth. You just have to get the right who's not how, right? Get the right people in the right places, including a business advisor. It's an absolute must. I am a seasoned business owner. I've started my first business, very successful business in financial services back in December of 2000, a little over 22 years ago. I have not one, but two business advisors that focus on different things. To me, it's essential. The president of the country has a whole cabinet of advisors. Olympians have a number of coaches. Like anybody and everyone should have an advisor who is helping them perform better. So it's just so important. Yet so many attorneys who come to us directly, not from organizations like Atticus, I ask them like, so who's your advisor? Why do I need one? Because once you're within the frame, you're not seeing the entire picture. You might be missing out on a couple million dollars a year. There's always there the, the growth potential, certainly. But I think, too, it's important to keep in mind, and you know, I alluded to this earlier, is you know, some of the numbers that you threw out might be really overwhelming or intimidating to some folks. And they might be thinking, I don't even, I want to be there. I don't even need to be close to that. I just, I just want a piece of that, right? And so I think it's important that individuals need to keep in mind that your growth, your success needs to match, you know, your definition. And so what some other attorney is doing or what some other firm is accomplishing doesn't necessarily need to be their, their measurement stick, if you would but they do need to define that vision and they do need to develop the roadmap and how to get there. And that's where, you know, we often are supporting the attorneys that we work with in that capacity as advisors, because they are still many times balancing the role of manager, leader, and technician, and they haven't yet relinquished 
being the, the full-time technician in their business. So it's all too easy to have head down on the desk and get buried in the day-to-day and never look up beyond the horizon to remind themselves of that vision and to stay true to the goals and the objectives and the strategy that they set forth. And so that's where having an advisor can really aid in that capacity because, again, we're creatures of habit. We're going to do what our body has got very comfortable doing. And we need oftentimes that a check and balance that's stronger than our own will oftentimes to, to put those plans into motion. 100%. Another point that I want to add there, for those of you who may be listening or watching this and thinking that 210, being in the top 10%, right, would be amazing. What will happen once you get there is your ambitions will rise. It always happens. And you know what? We do have clients who do 10, 15, 20 million top line. Guess what they do with that extra income? They become very charitable people. They donate to their churches, synagogues, mosques. They start sending money here and there, helping out whatever causes that they want. It's not about buying yachts. Right. I mean, if you want one, by (laughs) all means. Right. If you want a sports car, by all means. But, But once you get to that point, Right. You could do a lot of good in this world with that extra income. And I just I I know people do that. And I know I've done that myself as my income rose over the years. You know, I would donate more and more and more of that. It is a good feeling to have the opportunity to. You don't have to, but it's a good feeling to have the opportunity to do that. To be able to plan for your own retirement you know, in golden years, right? You know, I've worked with a lot of attorneys who don't even consider retirement as an option. One, because they love what they do, right? So why would I ever stop doing this? Mm -hmm. But I think a big part of it is I haven't considered my retirement because I don't think it's realistic for me to retire because I haven't, I haven't earned enough. I've earned good to live a quality life in present day, but not enough to save and have that kind of uh, safety net or, you know, residuals, if you would, available to me if I were to step away from my practice, right? And so they often will tell themselves that, well, I'll just work forever because I love doing what I'm doing. But I think there's a, a big component of it that profitability margin hasn't been strong enough to really give them the peace of mind or the confidence to think about what does my life look like when and if I decide to stop practicing. 100%. And the way that you may also think about this is when you buy a house, over time, you build equity. When you start a business, over time, you should be building equity in that business. And that equity happens with rising revenue and improving profitability and better operating systems. If you do that, that becomes a sellable business asset. If you don't focus on those three things, you own a job that owns you. That's it. God forbid there's a health issue, which happens so often. Mm -hmm. It happens to younger people too. If you have not built that business equity, right. you're in trouble. Right. You're really well, in trouble. That, and then even for the exit planning that we alluded to a moment ago, mm-hmm. especially if you have a team and you have a family, there's an obligation to consider what happens to those individuals in the you know unforeseen circumstance. And again, there's a multitude of reasons that we don't even want to think about that or we just brush it aside. But I think it's really important that that's kind of an an added responsibility as a business owner to think about your clients, your employees, and certainly your family. 
100%. Hey, I want to run a scenario by you. Let's imagine that the two of us partner up and we buy a law firm. The scenario goes like this. Let's say that law firm does $2 million gross revenue. Primary practice area is estate planning. There are six attorneys there. Neither one of us is a practicing attorney. We're just buying it as a business that we want to grow and maybe sell at some point. So $2 million, there's no profit. Everyone is well paid, but there is no profit. What are the three things, three tactics that you and I are going to implement or our team is going to implement over the first 12 months to substantially grow revenue and profitability? The first thing I would want to understand in that scenario is going to be the realization rates and the speed of billing. You know, what are, what and how are they billing and collecting? How quickly are they collecting on it? I can't tell you how many attorneys we work with that have no profitability or feel in a, a significant cash flow crunch and they have thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars of work that they haven't billed or collected on sitting on their desk. So I think that's a big consideration. Those who may be listening or watching this and do not know what realization rate is. So the realization rate is how much you bill versus how much you actually collect. And so in some models to, to get payment from clients, to, to realize any payment on that, they will say, if you pay by this time, we'll give a discount. Or again, they're not collecting the full original bill on that. And just by billing timely and frequently, depending again on, on the model, it can mitigate that as well. But all too often we wait until you know months after, and then we go to bill and collect, we've lost the momentum and the satisfaction uh, that our clients might have, and, and they're going to be less motivated to pay us timely if we haven't billed timely. What else? The next component is who are these players in the firm, right? And what are their roles? And so utilization is a big piece of this. Are our income producing, uh, you know, individuals in the firm focused on income generating activity only? And are we pushing that down again to other team members who can do administrative and operational tasks? So that's always a big piece of this. If we've got high paid individuals in the firm who are doing low level tasks, for cash, we're missing out on a big opportunity. Okay. What else? Um, third, I'm, I'm looking for tactics to like really bump up revenue and improve profitability, which when we're buying it, there is no profit, but everyone's well paid. Yeah. The third for me is going to be processes and automation, right? It's got to be something that can be duplicated. I think that's one of the more attractive components and pieces to somebody coming in and wanting to buy a firm is that it's plug and play. And so the high automation and high documentation of processes and procedures is really essential in, in that capacity. Mm -hmm. These three are really strong points and I like them all, but how do any of them contribute to, well, except for the first one, better collection system, how do the others contribute to growing revenue and or profitability? So the, the utilization rate is gonna be where mm -hmm. Where you're making the money right because again mm -hmm. those those attorneys those business owners they can't go out and seek additional revenue they can't be cultivating referral relationships or asking for future business if they're you know again doing those administrative tasks so it's really leveraging their time the automation and the processes allow for efficiency we can do things faster we can do things at a lower level also than if we didn't have that in place. So this is really leveraging technology and ensuring that things that can be automated are, you know, some of this is 
you know, the billing, the, the document drafting and creation, the way in which the team members work to avoid duplicity and delays. This would allow us to do more with the same resource without increasing costs. So right. we, can, we can serve more clients with exact same overhead. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Or those top tier folks can go out and be drumming up additional business and they can be reallocating some of the sure. areas that they're saving money also yeah. into increased marketing activities. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Let's talk about marketing for a moment because we are a marketing company and marketing is the gateway to getting more revenue. You and I talked about this before. You mentioned like lawyers hate marketing. <laughs> so true. Right. Tell me more and, and why this may be, or it is, the wrong way to look at things. Well, so we've alluded to it, right? It's probably not their natural comfort zone or what they've been trained in. So they're they're the technicians. But I've heard a lot of reasons or excuses, if you would, as to why lawyers hate marketing. And some of that is, you know, for some, it's, it's unethical. It's unethical to market my services, right? If I'm a, a good lawyer, if I'm a good attorney, that'll speak for itself and that'll bring business through the door, right? And then, you know, you and I were talking about this before we hit the record button. You know, sometimes they may have had bad experiences or they didn't have a, a strong strategy in place. And so they they come away with the, it doesn't work. It costs mm. too much, right? Or I don't know how and I don't have By the way, I think, sorry for the interruption, but I think most, most law firm owners, at least those who come to us, None of them are virgin clients. They have all been with numerous other marketing companies and they walk away disappointed and sometimes just disgusted, right? So marketing is not easy, but once you have that predictable marketing engine working for you, things start really humming along. Right. And it's about all too often attorneys who say, oh, I do marketing, do it in a haphazard or reactive way. Meaning like, you know, I, the, the work on the desk is a little light, so maybe I should go, you know, do some marketing. Right. And so then they go. And so you inevitably create these, these ebbs and flows in cash flow. And if we could just get every attorney to market consistently daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly without interruption, it'd be amazing the impact they would see to the consistency of cash flow. And once you have consistency of cash flow, now you can be more selective with the clients that you take on. You can create additional flexibilities and control for yourself. But all too often, we don't have enough cash flow coming in, so we're operating out of desperation. So, the, mm-hmm. you know, anything, don't treat marketing as this reactive activity. It's got to be a very proactive activity. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's marketing that is done for you, like digital marketing that my company does and so many other marketing companies do, right? So digital marketing is incredibly complex, mm-hmm. super labor intensive. You as a law firm owner don't have to do any of it. And should you try, there's about 100% probability that you're going to fail because when you hire like a team like mine, you have five to eight people right. working for your business every single week. They all have different skill sets. There's not a single person who can do it all. And we're marketers, right? Yeah. So yeah. five to eight people, there's only certain types of marketing that you do yourself. And we'll, let's call them business development, right? Going out there and building connections with the other attorneys and other centers of influence who can drive business to you. No marketing company will do that for you. No, we're big. Yourself. Yeah. Here at Atticus, big proponents of referral-based marketing, you know, mm-hmm. that 
time spent networking and cultivating strategic relationships is really essential. But, you know, they go hand in hand, right? And and so we've got a lot of attorneys who, you know, are feel a lot of pride associated with having a referral-based business. But when we really kind of pull the layers away, the number of referral sources they have is usually not significant enough to really ensure consistent, steady cash flow. And and what if something happens to one of those referral sources? You know, it could have a significant impact. So I'm a big analogy person. <laughs> I love the analogy of uh, spokes on a, a bicycle tire, right? Mm-hmm. And that tire is your marketing strategy and the results of that marketing strategy. The more spokes you have on that wheel, the stronger it is, the smoother it's going to ride, the further it's going to go, right? And if something does happen to one of the spokes, you're okay because it's you've okay. got other folks, you know, yep. coming in and doing the work for you. So again, there's, you know, your company that does these things. And I, I just want to go back to that for a moment because container attorneys I've worked with that have said, I, I can make my own website. I can, I can do my own social media. Again, the consistency and the, the expertise and knowledge that you need to do that effectively is just not time well spent for those individuals, right? The better time is the more non-digital forms of marketing, such as cultivating those referral relationships and expanding your referral reach and asking regularly referrals for business, right? And so I just always like to share the fact that the the number, that there's a direct correlation between the number of referrals an attorney will receive and the number of times they ask for that referral or the number of referral partners that they have that they could be getting businesses from. So as you know, marketing is a numbers game. The same is true on the referral side of the marketing efforts. Yeah, absolutely. So important. Another point there is do not be overwhelmed thinking about marketing as spokes in the wheel. There will not be a hundred spokes. There will not be 50 or 20. It's going to be a handful of things Mm -hmm. that consistently produce results. Mm-hmm. Just a handful, probably four or five things. You know, you're really talking about cultivating referral channels. Right. You're really talking about digital marketing with emphasis on social and not, and not on social and search. I know there's a lot of talk about all things social media. The truth of the matter is, you talk to a lot of lawyers who have tried it and failed. Mm-hmm. And the reason is more than obvious, but it doesn't appear to be obvious when everybody is talking about it. And the reason is, People typically do not look for lawyers on TikTok. They do not look for lawyers on Instagram. There might be some people who may be asking for recommendations on Facebook, but the vast majority of consumers, when they need a lawyer, they go to Google. When they need legal question answered before they talk to a lawyer, they go to YouTube. That's it. If you have a high-performance team that's working on those channels for you, all things search marketing, search advertising, you're going to do spectacularly well. It doesn't mean that I'm saying that social doesn't work at all. It's just that demand is on search. Mm-hmm. Branding is on social. That's why focusing on social is not the right way to go. So really, when we think about those spokes, going back to that analogy, business development, building the right channels, it's search marketing. If you tackle those two things, you're going to get significantly ahead of 95% of your competitors. Just well, to, yeah, in, in that vein, I think it's important too that some of this becomes creative distraction, 
right? Especially mm. when the attorney business owner says, well, I can take this on myself, right? And then, well, there are, there are dozens of different social media channels. So I must need to be on all of these social media channels, right? Again, we, we need to really hone in on where our audience is, where our efforts are best spent and, and evaluate that and partner with somebody that can help us with that. Because again, it becomes this creative distraction or creative avoidance in mm -hmm. focusing on the aspects of their business that truly need their time, effort, and energy. Mm -hmm. I want to switch gears for a moment as we need to wrap up soon. And I wonder if, if I was an attorney and I came to your organization and hired you or one of your colleagues as an advisor, what can I expect in terms of results in the first year? And let's say that I am one of many lawyers who does okay and I have a small law firm, or maybe I'm solo, what can I expect to get in return for all of this advising in the first year? Well, you can expect to get greater focus and greater understanding of, of the vision and the direction that you're going. You can expect to receive a lot of valuable insight and even training to some degree in some of these key business skills that are going to, again, differentiate what you got you here to what's going to get you there. And so we're, we're really big and focused on the, the business skills. As you can imagine, you know, folks come to us again, whatever that lead domino might be that compels them to start working with us can vary uh, from one attorney to the other. But, you know, the, the universal component of it, again, is focusing on these business skills for scalability of their practice and increased freedom and increased control so that we can do what my tagline here beside or behind me, you know, speaks to is we don't just want to focus on the practice. We are about that, that life work, work life balance. And again, by your definition, but giving you the tools to have a great practice that supports your great life. Super interesting. Would I expect to increase my revenue and or profitability in the first year? I think that's very fair and, and realistic. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I always think about it as a business owner myself. And when I think about my clients, whenever I hire a service provider, mm -hmm. I want that investment to pay for itself. Yes. So I always think about it, like, will it pay for itself in whatever period of time? And in one year is always an adequate period of time for most investments Correct. that it should be paying off for itself. Yeah, Got we've worked with a number of attorneys who, you know, again, there's a variety of different things. Some are really trying to gain control. And so having the emphasis be in the, the focus, the prioritization, the time management piece. Others come to us because they're looking for uh, guidance on an exit strategy for their business. You know, so again, there's, there, there's a wide spectrum there. But the ability to see results is definitely exists just in the, the the short infancy of any of our engagements because of the 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 light being shined on certain aspects of their business they didn't previously see before mm, super interesting there is a piece of data i got from interviewing one of the executives at clio <laughs> and he shared with me that those attorneys who are practicing attorneys tend to bill on average, and they have 30,000 law firm customer base. Mm -hmm. A lot of law firms, so the data is accurate. Yeah. Typical attorney bills 1.7 hours per day. <laughs> yeah, talk about utilization rate, right? So 1.7 hours. Yeah, well, so we've got to be able to really understand, and this, this comes to the firm economics, this comes to knowing your numbers, and how many hours are you actually being able to bill at, which means how efficient are you and your team? 
are you focused on you know profit and money generating activities versus mm -hmm. non-billable activities and so again yeah. it's shining the light on these areas as to where things can be tightened up or how you need to pivot the the operations or processes within your business so that you can be realizing more than 1.7 mm -hmm. and the CEO puts out a great report every year i love diving mm -hmm. into their trends report that yep. they put out every year it's a ton of great information and really gives a lot of good insight you know for people in my role but also for attorneys to be able to gauge their own business success yeah he also told me that those attorneys who start focusing on that utilization rate and implement technology and tactics in their practice to improve that utilization, mm -hmm. increase their billable hours by 30% without doing any more work. Yeah. Right. Simply through focusing and implementing the right technology. Yeah, absolutely. It's and but again, it's the, you know, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And, mm -hmm. and we, it's hard for us to see it because again, we're we're so focused in these areas and we've created the habits of what we do that it really does take somebody coming in and like, you know, again, shining the light in certain aspects here and mm -hmm. demonstrating where progress can be made because sometimes it just seems too overwhelming for the business. Mm -hmm. Got it. A couple last things. If somebody was interested in hiring you as an advisor or someone, one of your colleagues, is there like a free advisory session that you offer out of the gate? So I'm always willing to have, and my counterparts as well, a kind of an introductory conversation. It's important to that it's a good fit for the attorney, you know, and myself or, you know, one of the advisors that we might have. And so there's always the opportunity to kind of just let's have a introductory conversation, allow mm -hmm. them to ask questions. I think that there's a lot of, you know, there could be potentially intimidation. There could be a lot of questions that they have that would help them to make the decision if they had a, you know, an opportunity to do that. We also have a tremendous team that has been with Atticus for a number of years that can address a lot of those questions as mm -hmm. well. Um, there's a ton of information on our website at atticusadvantage.com. And you can always contact us at grow at atticusadvantage.com as well. And of course, we're on all the social channels. But, you know, like I said, there's a lot of information just to, if you wanted to kind of, you know, peek behind the scenes via the website and then certainly connect with any of our team members to really understand how this works, because there's no one single avenue to, to work with Atticus. We've got, you know, different opportunities, different programs. And so, it, you know, it really depends on where the attorney's at and what they're trying to accomplish with their business. Awesome. How does someone connect with you? So I am on LinkedIn at Lori Pulvermacher. My email address is P at atticusadvantage.com. And again, Atticus in general, atticusadvantage.com or grow at atticusadvantage.com. Amazing. Lori, thank you so much. This has been just absolutely phenomenal. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.